0: Good morning. Thanks for coming out to hear me hear me speak this morning. I grew up not far from here, Westchester, Pennsylvania. And my, my mother is actually here. There she is. She's only five foot two, so you gotta raise your hand. Real high mom. So she's wearing a bright red sweater, you can't miss her. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's good to be back in Pennsylvania. I grew I was born in New Jersey, Point Pleasant Beach, New Jersey. And I was raised in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I spent 15 years as a missionary in Brazil, and now I moved to Michigan five years ago. So when I won alone in the second season, a few people in New Jersey are like, yeah, hometown boy won. And the people in Pennsylvania, yeah, my local paper, local man wins alone. And, and down in Brazil, they're like, oh, brasileiro ganhou." They're all, and then Michigan, local man. So I'm, it's good to be claimed by all these people. Uh, <laughs> I'm welcome wherever I go. But uh, this morning I want to talk about a very serious uh, subject. Um, The Lord gave me this experience on alone. It it, it has encapsulated this message. Uh, There's not a single person in this room that has not experienced significant suffering and trauma. Every last one of you. I remember when I was a missionary standing in the back of the church and I was not preaching that night. And I'm standing there looking at all the people, it was during the song service and I'm Seeing this couple here, their son uh, just went to prison and those two are having marital problems and they're about to break up. And that family there is fighting cancer. And that woman there has domestic abuse issues going on. And that family there, and every family in the church was going through something. And I felt so insignificant in the face of it all. What could I possibly do? in this situation and and as a pastor, you're on on the inside of an awful lot of lives. You hear the real deal. You hear what's really happening in people's lives and it it is a humbling experience to know that you you can have no impact on that and you see people suffering all the time. And we could take a poll in this room right now of how many people, you don't have to raise your hands, how many people are going through a significant health crisis, financial crisis, relationship crisis. You're going through some form of suffering right now. Everybody could probably raise their hand and if it's not, and we could have a, we could have a, a poll to see who's, who's uh, got the record on that, who's suffering the most in this room. We could one-up each other with that, couldn't we? You know, what's the purpose of that? Why does God allow suffering like this in our lives? You know, I thought, one of the producers asked me when I was being interviewed for alone at boot camp, do you think your faith gives you an advantage over the other contestants? Very pointed question. I'd never thought of it that way. You know, do you do you think your faith gives you an advantage over the other contestants? And I thought, wow, knowing how much strength I draw from my faith? You know, it's almost a cliche that people, you know, when they're going through something, they say, if it wasn't for my faith, I never would have made it through, right? I never would have made it without my faith. And you hear that time and again. And I definitely have that. And I remember telling him That same strength is available to anybody who calls on God. Anybody who will submit to him and receive him, he gives that same strength. So no, I don't think it's an advantage over them, but that is how I live. That is where I go. I don't like to suffer. Anybody here like to suffer? I don't like it at all. I avoid it. People say, oh, you really like going out in the woods and roughing it. No, I don't. I like going out in the woods and smoothing it. I make it better for myself out there. I'm not going to sleep on rocks. I'm going to make myself a bed with a foot-thick hemlock mattress. I'm going to sleep on that. I'm not going to drink muddy water. I'm going to get fresh rainwater. You know, I don't like roughing it any more than anyone else. We avoid pain. We're supposed to avoid pain. But somehow there's this expectation, just like with wilderness survival, You know, people criticize the ALONE program. If you, if you don't know the, the, the full scope of the program, they, they select 10 individuals who have proven ability in the, in the woods, and they put you on a remote wilderness location, totally separated from anyone else. There's no contact with the outside world. There's no camera crew following you around, filming you. You've got to do all that yourself. No help, no food, no weapon. Just you, your wits, grit, determination, and empty wilderness and it's hard but there's a lot of wilderness survival people interested in that and bushcraft and they watch the show and they see how we're starving to death and they see how we're suffering and and there's like this fantasy out there among people that are into wilderness survival and bushcraft that they should be able to go out there and set all these traps and the animals will just suicidally just torpedo their traps, you know, (laughs) and they'll set all these hooks and just ravenous fish. They pull the trot line and there's 12 fish hanging and and they're gonna dry it with the smoke of their fire and the weather's always gonna cooperate and all the edible plants are in season and readily available in abundance and and they're gonna do it without any personal suffering. They're gonna get through this adventure and and, and in the end, they're gonna get the girl. You know, that's the way they had this idea. Reality is very far from that. The reality of wilderness survival is you are going to go into a wilderness area where you've never set foot and you're not gonna know a single thing of how to get food. You are going to starve. You are going to come up against that three week barrier where if you've been fasting for three weeks you will not be able to pull out of that situation. Some of you guys could probably last longer, all right? But if you're not, me too. But if you're, if you're starving out, you've got about three weeks of that kind of suffering. Um losing my train of thought here. The idea, though, of, of being able to do that without personal suffering is a fantasy because the wilderness is a difficult place to be. It is a hard place to live. If you think about it, this right here, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, used to be the Howling Wilderness, didn't it? What is it now? It's city, it's farmland, it's schools, it's shopping centers. Why? This was easy wilderness to conquer. And mankind moved right into it, and we took it over, and we terraformed it. Now, I remember my daughter was going through a science class in, in Brazil, and she was learning all about how mankind destroys the ecosystem. And I said, wow, Aaron or Karina, what if, what if people went into a place and just scraped off every native plant and just reduced the place to bare dirt? What would you think of that? She goes, that's horrible. I said, that's Iowa. <laughs> That's what they do. We took out everything that was growing here and we planted corn and wheat and soybeans and everything else to feed the rest of the world. Wilderness areas that are wilderness areas today are wilderness because we tried that and failed. You go to the north end of Vancouver Island, the center of the Amazon jungle, you go to Antarctica, the Poles, all those places where people don't live. They don't live there for a reason because it's not economically or physically viable to exploit that place and make it into anything other than what it is. So anytime you go into a wilderness area today, you're going into a place which is, you can't, it's unsustainable. You can't really live there. Because if it was easy enough to go there and just fish all day or trap all night and do all those things and make, have an abundant life, people would have been doing that there for hundreds of years before you even got there. That's what they did right here in Lebanon. They cut it all down, they made farms. And, you know, so the wilderness is a hard place to be. It's a place of scarcity. It's a place of confusion. It's a place where you don't know what's going on. And suffering, for the Christian, just like there's that wilderness survival fantasy that they can go out there and do that without personal suffering, somehow, in some way, we believe that God transforming us or conforming us to the image of His Son, that we can somehow get through that without personal suffering or confronting things that are ugly and having negative experiences. We somehow think that God can just come in there and, and just change us without pain. You know, if there was a pill that I could take to be all slim and buff, you know, I'd probably take it. But to get there, you got to go to a lot of gym, right? you got to lift a lot of weights. you got to move heavy objects to get that kind of physique. No pain, no gain. And in my life... As I look back on my life with with the Lord, the most precious things I know about him were learned in the face of the worst suffering that I've been through. I don't want to repeat those days. I didn't want to go through those days when I went through them. And there's this idea that we have is because God is on my side, or rather I'm on God's side, and he is in me and I am in him, and, and there's this divine human cooperation that I should be able to get through this life with relative ease. I should be able to get from where I am now to the end of the line, the finish line, and cross it without any major wounds, any major suffering. And there's this expectation that we have that because God is associated with our lives and he's in us and through us and, and he's, he's in control, that he would keep us from going through any of those things. There's a crazy idea, don't say this to anybody ever, please. God will never give you more than you can handle. Really. I know there's people here who have probably said that. Don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. There will be no sin, temptation to sin in your life that you can't handle. Because he will give you the strength to go through that. Okay, he will never, you have never have an excuse to say, I sinned because there's just no way around it. No, that's not true. But people take that idea and apply it to the rest of life. you will never go through more than you can handle. That is not true. You know, you know people right now who are going through things that you personally could not handle. I knew a family one time that lost all three of their children. The oldest was like five in a house fire. I could not handle that. That is beyond my capability to endure. I had a person recently, last year, die of stage 4 cancer, horrible cancer, in her bones, eating her spine apart. I met her because she was a fan of the show, and she wanted wanted to meet me drove out to her house and here's this person dying of cancer and they tried everything and she died. You can handle that? I was asked a very interesting question one time. Do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? Now think about that. Talking your place in the grand scheme of things. What role do you want to play? Do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? I pondered that question for a long time. It was part of the process of God calling me to be a missionary in the first place. Do you want to play a minor role? Why would I want to play a minor role in something so grand as a redemptive redemption of mankind? Why would I want to play a minor role in that? To play any role is an honor. Well, why would I want to limit God in that? Why would I want to stop him from giving me a bigger slice of that pie, a larger role in that, that thing? Then you look at the script of that play, and you see something very interesting, that the greatest pain is reserved for the people who have the most impact. The greatest pain in the, in the world. You look at that, you know, we could go back to our poll of who here is suffering, and someone could say, oh, yeah, I got a kind of a headache today. And, hey, I'm suffering from allergic reaction this morning. I am personally. This message is brought to you by Benadryl. <laughs> you know? And someone could say, well, that's nothing. I had to use an EpiPen this morning just to be here. You know, we could go down the line and, and, and suffering and suffering. And, you know, I had all my arms and legs amputated. And, I'm, and then to go all the way down, and the last person who suffered the most in this world... Would probably be one of the apostles, probably Paul, you know, and he would point, and there's Jesus, because God reserved the most suffering in this, redempt, this story of the redemption of mankind. He the, mo- reserved the most suffering for the the people that had the largest impact, and that was first and foremost Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, took the weight of your sins upon him. He suffered that outrage. He took your guilt. And guilt is a horrible thing to live with. He died on that cross to take away our guilt and our shame. And (laughs) how dare we use those to motivate the body of Christ? Guilt and shame. That's despicable. I say that in a lot of churches and sometimes I step on toes, but how dare we use guilt and shame to motivate the body of Christ? That's easy. That's not the way it should be. When it comes down to it, the one who had the most impact on the redemptive history of mankind is Jesus Christ and he was the one who suffered unspeakable horrors physically in this world and spiritually taking on the weight of the sin of the world and paying for that and, and he's also exalted and glorified beyond anyone else and glorified God in that. You know, if we back up to the Apostle Paul, he went through a few things. We know that... Uh, he was shipwrecked, thrown in prison, five times received the 39 lashes. They only gave you 39 because 40 was considered a death sentence. Can you imagine going to the beach with the Apostle Paul and trying to go swimming? He takes off his shirt. His back was scar tissue from top to bottom. A massive ugly scar from those lashes. He probably had facial deformity because he was stoned to death in Lystra. They stopped throwing rocks at him when they were convinced that he was dead. He wasn't chased out of town by them throwing rocks. They stopped throwing rocks and they were convinced he was dead. They dumped him in the city dump, but he wasn't dead. Or God raised him. People to interpret that both ways. I don't think I could handle 39 lashes with a cat and nine tails. Could you? I don't think I could handle being stoned to death. And God gave him more than he could handle. In fact, he talks about that. If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 1, rather. He says in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. And in my Bible it says, far beyond our ability to endure. Don't worry, Paul, God will never give you more than you can handle. He just says it right out there, far beyond. We were, we were in so stressed and so in such danger. It was far beyond our ability to endure. Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? He never promised you a life that did not include pain. He promised you a life in which he was walking with you and in you. you know, Jesus isn't above us, beside us, behind us, next to us. He's in us. Far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Now put yourself in his shoes there. What he's saying is we were under such persecution that we believed that we were handed a death sentence. There's just no way out of this. This is where it ends. We're going to die. You might have been in that place. You might have walked through that valley with someone where you realize this is the end. We don't get out of this. We don't survive this battle. He's despaired even of life. In a lot of ways, that looks like failure. When you get to that point, where God has called you to do something and you're doing it and you're giving it your personal best, your all, and doing the best job that you can to fulfill the will of God and you experience failure and setbacks and attacks and things aren't going right and you're wondering, is God really in this or not? And that suffering which you're going through, you don't want it, you try to avoid it, you can't avoid it, you're going through it, You want that life of personal peace and affluence where you're getting the raise, and that's the prosperity gospel people talk about. But then you're going through these things, and people say cliche things to you, like, well, God's giving you, you know, you had this happen in your life so you can comfort other people that are having that same problem in your life. You know, the first year my wife and I were married, we lost twin girls, and it was horrible. And there were people that said that to me. Well, you're going through this now, so that you can help other women who've lost babies. And my thought was, well, why doesn't God just leave us all alone? Why doesn't God just skip all that? Why would I have to do that? Why would I have to lose a baby so I can help someone else who lost a baby? It doesn't make sense. That's not what God God is doing. You see, I needed to go through that experience, and my wife needed to go through that experience in our relationship with him. And the primary beneficiary, the primary purpose for that was to change me. It wasn't so that I could help someone else. Sure, I can help other people by pointing them to Christ in that. But he needed to change me. He needed me to wake up and to see him more clearly. And in the midst of our greatest sufferings is where we also see the greatest revelations of God, a clearer picture of him, of who he is, a clearer understanding of the word, that we go through these things experientially. You know, Romans 12 tells us what? Not take revenge on another. That's very easy to read that and believe it and apply it in your life when no one's really doing anything to you. When you're being attacked in horrible ways, things that would cause a man to want revenge, that's, where those verses, that's who those verses were written to. Not the guy who's just getting up every day and having a happy life and everything's going great. He's, that's written to the guy who's seriously being attacked and, and it's, a, it's an experiential thing to not take your own revenge. To feel that rage, to feel that anger, to experience that, that level of suffering and intensity and say, I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let God take care of it. I'm going to turn this person over to God. That's an experience that you can have and you can only have that in the midst of, an, of a situation in which someone has done something awful to you and you were the object of the attack. You were the subject of this. You were the the reason it was done, and you're suffering. We go through experiences with with our health, and God will provide. He will give us strength, and we we can't learn these things in the Word of God. We can't learn these experiences experientially unless we go through these things. We don't learn who He is in the midst of these things, because Paul says, he gives you the reason. Right here, verse 9. Indeed, we we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. I'm so glad he put that in there. But this happened. He's giving you the situation and the resolution right there. The the, the question and the answer are right here, and it's, it's beautiful. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen? God... Does things for his own glory because he is glorious. God is not just. God's not holier than you. That's a shocking statement to say in a Baptist church, isn't it? God's not holier than you are. He's holy and you're not. Understand? He's the measure by which we are measured. God is not holier than you are. He's holy. You're not. Have good on, on your best day, you're not holy like He is in and of yourself. He grants you that. He gives you that by His grace as a free gift. The best you do does not increase... The, your best day never increased your status with God. You never surprised Him once. And the righteousness that you have is given to you as a gift by Jesus Christ. You didn't earn it. There's nothing you can do to, to pay for it. So what's God doing with our lives here? Seeing as, as he has done it all, he has placed us in Christ, baptized us in Christ. The life I live now is not mine, it is Christ who lives within me. Amen? How do we separate this out? How do we get to the point where God can use us or put us through experiences which strip away that self, which reduce the, that, the influence of that old man in our lives? and we see him failing and failing and failing in his own strength, and then we come to appropriate the life of Christ in us, and we become a living expression of him. That's not going to happen without pain. It's not going to happen without those negative experiences. And I know as a fact, in my life, the the most precious things I know about my God, I learned in the midst of the deepest suffering that I've experienced. Just like Paul is talking about here but this happened to show but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he has a purpose in all of this can you imagine preaching a message and having 3,000 people get saved heady stuff isn't it a man can look at himself in the mirror and be proud of that right it's a scary thing you know, I've got three fiction books. of have a six-book six series, post-apocalyptic fiction, killer fiction story I'm writing. Paul, he's got like half the New Testament. Man could be proud of that, right? Yeah, I'm the most published author in the face of the planet through history. I have more, more of my words have been translated, you know, Paul, more of his words have been translated into every, any, any, every language throughout centuries and centuries, two millennia. You know, we've got him the most widely read author on the face of the planet. He's got most of the New Testament to his credits. That could go to a man's head. But God put through Paul through some experiences way beyond what he could handle to show Paul how weak he really was, to show Paul that he was less than nothing. To show Paul that you know, you're, you're a vessel for me. And if you turn the page. He talks a little bit, of, a little bit more about this. Uh, chapter 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure. In jars of clay. To show that this all surpassing power. Is from God and not from us. We are pressed on every side. But not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this is a man writing about his own personal experiences and his own personal experience. He's not saying I was whipped with a cat of nine tails 39 times so that I could help other people that are being whipped by cat of nine tails. No, God had to do that to Paul to teach Paul. God had to do that to Paul to get Paul to the point where he understood this message we have this treasure in jars of clay. It is a common thing in the Roman world, where you know we don't suffer military invasions here. You know, people don't take over the town and they occupy and get driven out and this kind of thing. But that happened a lot in the Roman world. But they would establish their their country, you know, their their colonies, and the local barbarians would attack, and this would go back and forth. And they would take literally take treasure that was too heavy to carry away, and they would bury it in clay pots in the ground. And then every once in a while, they find them. Just recently, there was a big cache of coins found in England. Treasures in a jar of clay, it was a very common thing for them to understand that at the time. And nobody finds that thing. You're digging in your garden, you come to that clay pot, and it's all filled with gold coins. No one's going to dump it all. Look it. It's like perfect condition, this pot. I'm going I'm to put a plant in there and put it on my windowsill. No way. You're like, gold. That's Jesus in you. And he's not going to pour out his power on a man who hasn't been broken, especially not at this level. I mean, how could he? How could, how could you be the most widely read author on the face of the planet in saying things like this? And Paul says, no, no, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And he's been shown the suffering that he's been through, the problems he's seen. And with every corresponding revelation of God, there's a corresponding revelation of self. The more I know about God's holiness, the more I know about my sinfulness. And the more sinful I'm going to look, the more I know about God's intelligence and wisdom, the more foolish I'm going to look. And you can't get close to God without knowing yourself and seeing your own personal failings and understanding, yes, if it were not by grace, I would not stand. There's no way I can be in his presence unless he imparted righteousness and holiness to me. And there is nothing that I can do to add to the work of Christ that was given to me as a gift and he receives me by grace and mercy alone you know I think about it if my, uh, my son Daniel were to die and they were to take his heart out of his chest and put it into your son's chest so your son might live a heart transplant it's an amazing thing they can even do that but that happens every year you know all the time it's happening all across the country where one child dies and his heart is taken and given to another child and if that happened to my son Daniel it was the donor of a heart and you came to me and said, you know pastor Mac that's uh, just an amazing thing I want to make it right for you, you know, here's my checkbook I'm going to write you a check for the value of that heart I'm going to write you a check for the value of that heart because I don't feel right about you you incurring this loss. If you did that, you will have offended me deeply because the heart of my son does not have a monetary value. There's no price you can pay on that. It can only be received as a gift. It can only be received by grace. It's not for sale. It never was for sale. It was just available, and therefore it was done. But you can never take... You would diminish... The, the, the gift by offering to pay. And in our Christian lives, we do that often. We, we, we want to add things to the work of Christ. We want to measure up in and of ourselves. We have this image of this perfect person that we want to be. While God is conforming us to the image of Christ, we're trying to conform ourselves to the image of this, this dressed-up mannequin, the perfect Christian person. And we want to look like him. We're going to sound like him and act like him. And if if we do that successfully enough, no one will know the mess that is really over here. The mess that God received 100% and he loves you. I mean, to die for you. He loves you. He accepts you completely in him. You are made clean. You are washed by his blood. Your sins are removed. You are holy in his sight. And it's not like he put a pair of glasses on to make you appear holy. He did that for you in reality. I had to drop the hammer on one of my Brazilian pastors down there. I went to one of his baptisms, and great guy, great guy. But as he's preaching, he, he, he went kind of weak-kneed on the message. And he says, it's as if you were buried with Christ and risen again. And he uses a construction in Portuguese, that very specifically. it says, como se fosse, as if it were. I said to him, Pastor, I did not drive up here today as if I have a driver's license. I'm not going home to my wife as if we're married. You were, you were buried with Christ and you were raised again to new life. It's not as if those things happened. Jesus Christ is not a pair of corrective lenses on a holy God to make you appear holy. He made you holy. He gave you that. Now, how are you going to walk in that and understand that and appropriate the power that's available in your life through the Holy Spirit, the power that's available in your life to be a better person, to manifest the life of Christ in your life? How are you going to do that unless you can separate who's you and who's him? And he will allow you to to use your coping mechanisms and all the things that are coming from your flesh, and he will allow those things to fail, one after another, after another, after another, until finally you're like, what gives? I'm done. I can't do this. And God's like, finally, you get it. Finally, you get it. You see, because everything that you look at as a sense of life or or purpose or meaning, which is not Him, He can and will and delights to take those things away. Because He knows where that will lead you. He knows that will lead you to to embrace Him. I used to identify myself as I am a husband, a father, I'm a missionary, I'm a pastor wilderness survival instructor. In my story, all those things were taken away. And that was my greatest fear, was to lose all these things that define me and my life and the life I want to live and the things I want to experience and the things I want to get more of and be better at. And that was how I defined my life. I am these things. And because I was standing upon those things, God came along and kicked them all out from under me. And I lost the very life that I I loved. The the greatest fear in the world was to lose that life that I had spent... An adult career building and I find what happens then when you when you lose all your idols when the Lord does come in and create that suffering which takes away that thing you've been looking to for a source of life, imagine yourself in a a pagan temple and you've got these alcoves in the walls and your idols used to stand there on those alcoves the things that you were looking to as life or protection or peace career status the new car, the trophy wife, whatever it is, in those, what are, the, what are your idols, I don't know what yours were, I know what mine were, and God takes them away, and now you look, and you can sit there and stare at those empty alcoves, and you can wonder, and, and ponder, and, and remember the, the glory days of what it was like to own a Lamborghini, and now you're taking the bus, you know, you can remember what it was like, and you, and you or you can carve yourself new idols, You can find something new to get, and you're going to put that, prop that up in there and grow those parts of your life. Or you can submit to God and say, Lord, you brought this in my life for a reason. I'm suffering right now. You took away a thing which I was depending upon. That was where I was drawing my life from, and all of a sudden it's gone, and now I feel dead. I don't feel like I did before. I am suffering. He wants to be your sufficiency. He wants you to experience that all-surpassing power. Paul ends down here at the bottom, verse 16. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And folks, if I could sum up my experience on Vancouver Island in one verse, it would be that right there. That the Lord took me out there to break me, to give me, take the last of my strength away. I'm, the, last, the last thing I the only thing that survived after the divorce is I'm good at making video and I'm good at the wilderness and he put me in a place that was going to challenge both those things and I began to starve and a month in I was starving and I remember saying Lord you've taken me, you've exiled me to a rock on the north end of nowhere you've taken everything away my career, my country, my house my kids, my job I even lost my secular job at that point point. and it was all gone And now my Jeep was totaled two days before I went to Vancouver Island and and my daughter moved into my apartment. I didn't have a place to live. And now I'm sitting here literally exiled on a rock in the north end of nowhere and God is putting me in the largest concentration of cougars and black bears on the planet. I'm like, Lord, you've taken it all away except for my life and my health. That's all I got left. And you could take either one of those here. And there's this little glimmer of hope inside. Yeah, but ain't it cool? You're shooting a major TV show in the wilderness of Vancouver Island. And maybe, just maybe, God's got something big planned for you. So stick it out. Endure the suffering. And it is suffering. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Our light and momentary troubles. Guys, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote that. The guy who was stoned to death, the guy who received all those lashings, imprisonments, shipwrecks. Our light. He's developed a perspective here, which goes far beyond his mortal life. He's seeing he was planned by God in ages past, and he will be with God for ages future. And right now, this thing is a parenthetical situation that I am in, this thing called life. It's parenthetical. It has a beginning and it has an end. It all takes place in between the parentheses. If you think about it, the world we live in right now, it's a combination of two things. It is is at the same time the penthouse apartment of hell and the flooded basement of heaven. That's what the world is right now for the people who are rejecting God and, and rebelling against Him and are in His face, this is as good as it's ever going to be. It's as good as it's ever going to get. Where they're going to do their drugs and promiscuity and, and all the things that are giving them life right now, all the way they're using their lives, it's as good as it's ever going to be. Because there's not a drop of water in hell. Let alone a cold beer. Not a drop. For the believer, this is the flooded basement of heaven. This is as bad as it gets, folks, for the believer. This is the only time you're going to have to experience faith. Because if God revealed himself in his, all of his glory, there would be no faith. It would be a no-brainer to follow him. So he has to be occluded from our eyes. He has to be hidden in that way and veiled in that way so our true heart can be revealed of who we really are. This is as bad as it gets. This is the only time you're ever going to have to live by faith and depend upon God in the midst of confusing circumstances or to live for him in the face of persecution, to stand up for the gospel amid people that are rejecting it, to make a difference in a world which doesn't want to be differenced, wants to remain the same or get worse. This is the only time you get to confront that. So don't run from the battle. Don't run from the suffering. Because every time God puts you in a situation of suffering, it's like when you fix your car. You realize I've got to fix my car and I don't have the right tools. You go, you buy the tools, you fix the car, and guess what? You get to keep the tools, right? We need to, he need, we need to learn to draw strength from him. And we're, we learn that in the midst of our suffering. And this fantasy idea that we can go through life and not have any suffering is just that. It's, it's a fantasy and God never intended that. In fact, he wants to give you the greatest gift he possibly can. The blessing of God has a name. It's Jesus Christ. It's not stuff. It's not the better job. It's not those other things. It's a, more, a closer connection with him. And you don't get that without pain. Now, we have this idea that that won't happen, but turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. Wrap it up here. I got five minutes. Nice big clock back there. Chapter 8 and verse 18. Again, he repeats the same idea that he said in 2 Corinthians. Verse 18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's an attitude. And notice he said something there. And we misread that often. We think. I consider that our pre- pre- present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. As in, we will see great things. And that's not what he says here. The glory he's talking about will be revealed in you, not to you. Revealed in you. Because he's already made you complete in Christ, he already indwells you 100%. And what's, a, what's blocking that is, is you, your flesh. And when that's eradicated, you're going to shine. I spent a lot of time working in a very, very charismatic country. Brazil is very, very charismatic. And, and people uh, are always interested in what's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You know, well, they say, Pastor Mac, this, I was at this church and people were falling down on the ground and barking like dogs. That's okay. Interesting. Well, what is that? I don't know. My Bible doesn't say a thing about that. You want to fall down on the ground and bark like a dog, have at it. You know, my Bible doesn't say it's a sin to fall down on the ground and bark like a dog, but that's not the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit manifests himself, what happens? What do you see? You see the life of Christ coming out in that person's life. You see forgiveness where there was hatred, you see love where there was neglect, you see people reconciling where there was division. And that's the expression of the Holy Spirit, not weird stuff. But the impossible stuff, where we can now change, we have the power over sin to to no longer do that, whereas before in our flesh we did not. We have the power to receive a holy life from him and walk in it. We have the power to receive a ministry from him and actually change people's lives, not through us, but through him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It It expresses himself through our life and changes other people's lives. And that's the glory he's trying to reveal in us. We go to the end of the chapter there, verse uh, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Amen? No, it didn't say, where from all these things we will be saved. Never said that, did it? We wanted to say that. That I will never experience hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword. We wanted to say, from all these things, we will be safe. But it doesn't say that, no, in all these things. In other words, you will experience hunger. You will experience persecution. You will experience hardship or nakedness or danger. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So he's got a plan for your life. And that plan, just like the plan for his own son and his own apostles and everyone else who did anything significant for God, it it includes suffering. And he gives you the ability to abide in him and to draw strength from him moment by moment in the midst of that battle. He isn't going to write you a blank check to give you all the strength to go through chemo. He'll give you the strength to go to chemo today and tomorrow and every day you have to. He will give you the strength as you're going through those treatments. He will give you the strength in your relationship with your spouse who is impossible. He will give you the strength to do the right thing day after day after day, moment by moment. He will give you his strength as you abide in him. And that is the promise of the word of God. Amen.